Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I've shared this story with you before, and we're going we're gonna to talk about grace today because it really is the message of the church, right? We talk about the gospel, but the gospel is the gospel of God's grace. What makes the gospel unique? Right? What is it that makes Christianity unique? What is it that in, in effect sets everything apart? for us when we talk about all the other religions of the world. C.S. Lewis, uh, I've told you before, was at a a conference at Oxford, and they were evidently bringing in people from all over uh, the world in order to have a discussion that C.S. Lewis found out about, went down to visit some, and asked them, what's the discussion about? And they said, well, it's what makes Christianity unique. And he looked at them, and I could see him. It was so great. I wish I could be a fly on the wall. And he said, well, that's easy. It's grace. Grace. When we say grace, it's not just saving grace, it's living grace, and it's also dying grace. It's the whole gamut. It's the whole thing. Salvation is God's grace to us. It's not what we deserve. It's not what we've earned. It's not what we could pay God back for. And it doesn't stop at the cross. It begins at the cross and continues on. We get the opportunity of walking with God every moment of every day as believers, For unbelievers, God is constantly at work in the midst of their circumstances to bring them to a point where they will be willing to agree that they need the salvation that is in Christ and in Him alone. The word grace or charis, you've heard this word, is used over 150 times in the New Testament. It is a theme that comes through in everything. It may not be the main theme. It may not be the main reason in the epistles why uh, a particular letter was written, but it is undergirding everything that is said, every command, every instruction, everything that we're to do and or not to do rests on a foundation that is understood to be grace. God's empowering ability, God's life lived in and through us. Grace simply means, in many ways, that which is undeserved. There's a great statement. A lot of people sometimes get mixed up in some of these terms. And I think, I think there's three terms, justice, mercy, and grace. And we look at those terms and go, well, what does this mean? What does this look like? Well, justice is when we get what we deserve. Right? <laughs> what do we deserve? I got to tell you something, all of us deserve death, all of us deserve hell. There's a lot of people that don't want to say that. There's a lot of people that want to say, oh no, don't do that, that'll offend everybody. Friend, that is the truth, and we need to understand that. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve, and I would actually add even into that that mercy is God's rescuing power to rescue us from what we do deserve. Grace is when we're given what we do not deserve. Think about that. What have you been given that you don't deserve? Salvation in Christ alone. We're given something that we don't deserve. As believers, we continue to walk in that. We continue to experience God's grace where all the blessings of Christ are ours, not because we earned it, not because we could pay God back for it, but because they are in Christ and Christ is in us and he's been given to us when we believe in him by grace. 
And so everything for the believer has as a foundation, in effect, grace. Some people would say grace is the house which all the blessings, all the things that God has chosen to do out of his own will on our behalf, out of his own favor, with joy, for us, grace is the house that all of those different things, whether it's mercy, forgiveness, whether it's his love towards us in action, whatever it may be, grace is the house which all of those blessings are within So grace becomes in many ways a foundation of God's attitude and activity toward the unsaved and the saved alike. So often I think believers tend to look back at the cross and we ought to with great thankfulness because of God's grace. But we forget that grace empowers us today. Grace is not just some philosophical statement. Grace is God's transforming power as he has come to live within us in order to transform us. So grace becomes a foundation of God's attitude, not only for the unbeliever, but also for the believer. And grace becomes what transforms us because God is at work in our lives. And it is through Christ that we grow. It is through Christ that we mature. It is through Christ that we are being transformed into his image. It is not by our efforts and our work, though effort and work certainly have a part to play. We have a decision to make. Are we going to yield to the Lord or not? The cross, the resurrection, our salvation, or our walk with the Lord, our future with him, our eternal rewards are all because of God's grace. When we talk about salvation, don't just look back. Look at the whole thing, the whole picture, right? And we put it into fancy terms, justification, sanctification, glorification. When I became a believer, right? Now that I'm walking as a believer and the hope that I have as a believer, the whole thing of salvation is undergirded by God's grace. It is the message of the church. It is the unique message of the church. And friends, understand something. Jesus Christ is the grace of God to each and every one of us. He is the grace of God to this world. In him is salvation alone. In him is hope alone. And in him do we have any sense of a future eternity, of salvation of being justified with God, of being forgiven of our sin, of experiencing restoration and reconciliation with God. So grace is the foundation upon which our salvation so aptly rests. Our efforts, our work, no matter how sincere we are, our desires to do right can never achieve or measure up to God's standards. That's why it's all because of grace. Grace is God's decision, if you want to think of it this way, to give us something we don't deserve through the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the grace of God toward us. Do we deserve to even know Christ? (laughs) No. But praise God for grace. I love Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following, because it gives us this picture of the fullness of salvation in the midst of what grace is really all about. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. By the grace of Christ, we have 
three things. We have the provision of new life, we have the potential of growth, and we have the promise of gain. And Titus 2.11 and following says, For the grace of God has appeared. It's been made manifest, brought to light, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Did you catch it? Did you see the the fullness of the salvation in this? What does he say? The grace of God has appeared. And what has grace accomplished for us? It has brought salvation to all men. Everybody has an opportunity to be saved. John 3.16 cannot be cut out of the Bible. God so loved, what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Bringing salvation, opportunity to be saved, to know for sure what your future holds. But it's also an instruction Grace is an instruction. What does it do? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and rather to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In other words, how to walk with God. How to walk with God. How do I walk with the Lord? How do I deny that which I used to be, that which in my flesh I am still attracted to, and by God's grace, because of his power, because of his overwhelming ability within me to transform me, I can yield to him, and he can have the victory over sin. And to live sensibly, to live righteously, to live within the calling that I've been called as a child of the king. And furthermore, with hope, with hope, (laughs) See, hope is a future fact. Hope is not just something that we step back and go, boy, I wish this would happen. Hope is what we know God has promised and therefore will happen. How do I know dad's in heaven? Because God said it, period. That's it. Has nothing to do with how good a life he lived. Has nothing to do with all the sermons he preached. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with the shed blood of Christ and the fact that God said, when you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. Period. That's it. The hope that we have, it's not based on us, based on our activity or lack of it. It's based on the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody can say amen this morning. You all need to wake up. Let's go. Heaven's sakes, we got a picnic coming. It's all right. Forget the time. I got a captive audience. You ain't going to eat until I get done today. I can guarantee that, all right? That's not happening. I don't care how many tents you put up. It's not going to happen, all right? (laughs) So three things. The provision of new life, the potential of growth, and the promise of gain. The provision of new life, the revelation of grace. How do we even know about grace? (laughs) Isn't that cool to think about? We know about grace because of Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes this. He says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, the one-of-a-kind, unique Son of God from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. How do we know anything about grace? It's because we see Christ. 
and because we recognize that Jesus Christ is the grace of God to each and every one of us, not only so that we might be reconciled to God, but that we can live in the calling that he's called us as his children, as his people, as citizens of the kingdom. What an amazing truth. In John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, For of his fullness, speaking of Christ, we have all received, and grace upon grace. And I love that phrase. Grace upon grace. It literally has the idea of grace replacing grace. Grace replacing grace. One of the constant themes over the last couple months for us as a family is God will meet us there. I'm worried about Sunday, or I'm worried about this report, or I'm worried about this visit to the doctor, or I'm worried about this, or I'm worried. And they say, God will meet us there. I'm concerned about meeting all these people and the strength that we need on Friday and then Saturday, and I'm concerned about the funeral, and I'm concerned about what I'm going to say and how it's going to come out. God will meet us there. Grace upon grace. Grace replacing grace as we use the grace that God has given us right now at this particular moment for this particular situation. We can rest assured that God will never be exhausted in his ability to replenish me with more grace for what I will face in the next moment, in the next day, in the next week, in the next hour, whatever. That's grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Wow. Realized means came to light. It doesn't mean that grace wasn't there before. We've seen this in the Old Testament. There was grace all through the Old Testament. It's amazing how many ways grace is revealed in the Old Testament, even in spite of the law. The law was not given in order to give anybody a stepladder, in order to be perfect before God, in order to be good enough to get to heaven. That's not why the law was given. The law was given in order to reveal the need for a Savior. And I would suggest this, the law was given in order to highlight grace because that's what it's all about. Dallas Willard in his book, The Great Omission, speaking on discipleship, he makes this statement because as unbelievers, as evangelicals, right? And I would use that term carefully in our day and age. So many of this has changed and I don't know, we used to be fundamentalists and that got goofy and now it's evangelicals and now there's a whole group of evangelicals that I wonder if they even know Christ from a hole in the wall, to be honest. But the truth of the matter is, is we are people who believe in the basic fundamental tenets of the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is holy. It's inerrant. It's His Word. I could go a long way with that. There's a lot of statements that have been made recently that I just, got to hold my mouth. The conviction of sin, this is what Dallas Willard says, conviction of sin is no longer a popular topic among evangelicals. Yet I think a foundation for evangelical piety across the ages and even now remains not only conviction of sin, alienation from God, condemnation, and a sense of eternal loss, but also deliverance from bondage to sin, from the inability to stop sinning. What does God provide in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? When we talk about the fullness of God being revealed in the person of Christ and it being grace and truth that are now made manifest, what we're talking about is the man's inability to save himself in the situation that he's in. And what is that situation completely and absolutely separated from God? Not just now, but eternally. 
completely incapable of changing that fact. And in the midst of it, why? It's because of sin, pure and simple. And what did Jesus do for us? He went to the cross to shed his blood to make provision for forgiveness. How is that entered into? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the promise? You will be saved. We need not shy away, friends, in this absolute political nonsensical stuff that's being floated around. We need not shy away from kindly, gently, but with boldness as the Lord leads sharing with people that sin is separating them from God and that only in Christ Jesus is their hope, is their salvation, is their certainty. It is not in good works. It is not in how hard you try. It is not even in sincerity. It is in the act of Christ at the cross, period. And that we need to make sure is something that we continue to trumpet through this body of believers, no matter where we are, no matter who we come in contact with, as we're led by the Spirit of God. It is grace that allows for this. Good. When we talk about the provision of new life, it's not just the revelation of grace. It's also the result What's the result of grace? In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Salvation. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So therefore, what's the result of grace? See, it's not works. It's unmerited favor. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's being given what we don't deserve. How? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about the power of God in the midst of his decision to absolutely set up salvation in such a way that when we come to him, when we have the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which I believe the Lord is working in every human life on this planet in order to bring them to this realization that every person has a decision to make. Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? One of the most profound questions ever, and it's something that every one of us has to deal with. What is truth? And Jesus is truth. How do we enter into a relationship with the Lord? It is by the shed blood of Christ Jesus. It is because of what he's done and believing, having faith in him and him alone. What's the result? Eternal life. What's the response of grace? In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Wow, do you realize the context of that is giving? The context of that is, listen, look at what the Lord has given to us. And as a result, how should we freely give him all things? What a response. We're not just talking about money. We're talking about our lives. We're talking about all our time. We're talking about everything. We're talking about saying, in effect, Lord, you are the Lord. And as a result, my life, my hopes, my dreams need to be recalibrated to what you want. And as a result, I recognize you own everything. 
My time is not my time, it's your time. My schedule is not my schedule, it's your schedule. Whatever you choose for this day is good with me because you're sovereign over it. That's the issue. What's the response of grace? It is, Lord, here I am. Use me in whatever way you choose. Well, there's the provision of new life when we have Christ come to live within us and Christ begins to do a work in our lives, transforming us. When his life begins to be seen through us, then what happens? Well, as believers, we have the potential for growth. I say the potential because it's not automatic, folks. It's not automatic. This isn't by osmosis. I don't care how many times you come to church, and I don't care how many times you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, or maybe it's 5 or 4, or if you're really spiritual, you pray all night. I don't care. The reality of it is we have potential for growth, and it is not in our works and or our efforts. We can be doing all the right things, but with the absolute wrong motivation in it. You can have devotions. <laughs> you can read Oswald till you, you've memorized every day of the year. Folks, do we understand that it's God who grows us? And it's an attitude of yielding to him and coming to him because of who he is. Well, not only does grace begin to teach us that we need Christ, but then grace begins to help us to grow in Christ. And one of the very first things we begin to learn as believers is who we are in him. Who has he declared us to be? In Galatians 2.20, he says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, I, don't, I do not nullify, I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Later in Galatians in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, you've been severed from Christ. He's not talking here about losing your salvation. He's writing to believers. He's saying that the power that you have as a believer to walk with God, to be transformed by God, to walk by the Spirit of God, to walk by faith in Christ, to experience all the fullness of God in and through your life. You have set that aside. You've nullified grace. You are walking according to your own strength, your own ability, your own rules, and you are failing miserably at it because you cannot produce love. That is a fruit of the Spirit. And he says, you have been severed from Christ. You are no longer walking by the power of God in you and through you, which is by grace. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, what does he say? You have fallen from grace. Does he mean you've lost your salvation? No, it means you are no longer in fellowship with the one who alone has the power to grow you, to mature you, to be in and through you what you could never be on your own. Folks, think about that. Have we fallen from grace? Have we somehow nullified the grace of God and set it aside? We have all kinds of good plans. We have all kinds of good programs. We have all kinds of good things that we're a part of, but we're doing it out of our own strength. We're doing it out of our own ability or what we think is our own ability rather than yielding to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you to be who you are in and through me because you alone are strong. You alone are wise. You alone know the way because you are the way. 
You folks, that's what grace does. Grace begins to transform us in such a way that even our thinking changes and we begin to realize how dependent upon God we truly are. And we get to experience him in the midst of it. Not only does he declare who we are as a result of grace, but he begins to teach us how to walk with him personally. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he talks about this. He says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, by what? By the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. How do we grow? Oh, well, I went to 30 D groups, and I've read through the Bible a thousand times, and I've gone to church every time the the doors were open. I served on this committee and that committee, and I did this. No, no. How do we grow? What does he say? By the pure milk of the word. Well, how does that happen? It's by God's grace. In 2 Peter 3.18, he says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Think about that. How do we grow? We we get into the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in order to, to begin to teach us and to grow us and to correct us and admonish us, get us back on the right path, teach us what it means to walk righteously with God in the good works that He's planned for us before the foundation of the earth, how to say no to the things that we used to be a part of that still are attractive to our flesh, and how to yield our lives to the Lord so that in and through us, God's grace, God's life may be made manifest. That's how we grow. Not only that, but he begins to teach us how to relate to one another. And boy, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it? You could shake your head, yes. It's okay. Sometimes the body of Christ and in the midst of the body of Christ, we, get, we just get hurt, don't we? I bet if I walked around this room and I started talking to every individual about how you've been hurt in some way, shape, or form at church, I think we'd all be in tears. I think we'd be devastated. Folks, sometimes the family can be very dysfunctional. And friends, only in God's grace can it be made right. Only in God's grace can it be restored correctly. See, when we talk about loving one another, how do we do that? It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means it's God's grace in and through our lives in order to accomplish something that in and of our own strength we can't accomplish. Because our flesh is flesh. That's the reason Christ went to the cross, is because of our flesh. Our flesh can't have a Band-Aid placed on it and somehow be made to be okay. No, 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 we need the life of Christ. We need to learn to die to self. And we need to say yes to the Lord and begin to grow in him, which means we need to learn to forgive. It means we need to learn to be restored. It means we need to learn to let go of things and move on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and following, he, Paul was writing to the church, and he says, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. But he says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Think about that. 
How does that all happen? <laughs> we got a great program. We got a picnic. We got all kinds of food. It's good. Chocolate cake. I hope there's some there. No, it happens because of God's grace. It happens when we yield to him, when we simply agree with him what we're not and the glory of who he is. And then we begin to walk in the glory of what he has declared us to be, his children. That's when that happens. Well, not only that, but in faith works, is there effort? Is there work involved in the Christian life? Doggone straight. You better believe it. If you think you're just going to sit in a chair every day, and, and that's, that's great. You can pray all you want, and I hope you do. But I also hope that God begins to move you in a way to get engaged with what his plan for your life is all about. There, are, Of course there's faith works, and of course there's effort involved. But it ought to stem out of, it ought to be an outflow out of who we are in Christ by his grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul's a great example of this. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Think about that. Is there anybody that has suffered more in the sense of what Paul went through and or put more effort into seeing people come to know Christ as well as discipling them in the sense of equipping them in order to grow in Christ than Paul? And what's Paul's testimony? It's not me. It's the grace of Christ in me. It is Christ himself. Think about that. Yes, there's effort. But it's a response to God's leading, understanding that he gives the power and the strength in order to call us into what he has for us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, again, Paul writing about this, the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, the ability, that word power is our word dynamite, and it means ability. The power of Christ may dwell in me. He's not talking about getting saved. Christ is already living there. He's talking about ownership in the sense of every area of my life, just like in Ephesians where he talks about Christ dwelling within our hearts, Christ taking up residence within every area of our lives. We're already saved. That's a done deal. Now the question is, are we growing in Christ? Are we walking with him? And is every area of our lives yielded over to him? Is our finances, is our hopes, is our dreams, is our relationships, all the things that we're about, is it yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ? And are we experiencing his his power in the midst of his will for our lives. That's the issue. Paul says, it's not I, but it's Christ in me. Well, there's the provision of new life, the potential of growth, but there's also the promise of gain. Oh, I want to tell you something. We experienced that so beautifully this last week. Philippians 1.21, dad's really theme verse. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And folks, I don't know if you know my father-in-law or not. Many of you do. You know, you knew him, you walked with him, you watched him, you've been ministered to by him in many, many different ways. I don't think there's a person that could come away that would say that that verse was not true about his life. I watched it, I experienced it, I was blessed by it, God used him in ways in my life 
I, I can't even, I don't even know where to go with it. To me, to live is Christ. He did that fully. And now he's experiencing the gain of heaven. Praise God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, now we're saved. We've been made right with God. What happens? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Wow, what a verse. See, we stand in that grace. What grace? The grace of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that he knows our deplorable state. And praise God, he's done something about it. And when we believe in him, he comes to live within us. We're not left as orphans in this world, but we get to experience him in every moment of our lives. Not only does he bring us to the cross and lead us there so that we have the opportunity to believe in him, but when we do believe in him, then he begins to walk with us in our lives. And now we have something to look forward to. We have a hope. We have the promise of gain because to live is Christ, but to, to, to die is even better. Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do we hang on to that? What sufferings are we going through that we think are so overwhelming and so terrible, so tragic? I'm constantly reminded in the midst of life that I have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Amen? And so you begin to look at that and you go, wow, wait a second, what am I complaining about? What am I worried about here? What is it that's overwhelming me? Why have I suddenly lost focus and, and, and not walk, I'm not walking according to the hope that I know that I have? What is there in this life that is so worthwhile that it's willing to sacrifice what I've been called into, who I am in Christ, and what God is calling me toward for? Think about that. Boy, today's an amazing day, isn't it? 9-11. I, I don't know if you remember exactly where you were. I'm sure you do. I was at my desk at Woodland Park, actually. I'd just gotten there and was serving there with John Metter for about a year and a half. I had the shortest tenure of any pastor ever at Woodland Park. It was hilarious. It was a good time. Love those people. God called me down to Ringgold, Georgia, where I, I pastored my first pastor. It was a small little church. Precious, precious, precious people. Love them. Still play fantasy football with some of the guys 10 years later, you know? They're such bums. They always give me a hard time about the Cowboys. Jonathan and I, we get on the phone with them, and they just, just love to tease me about it. Anyway, I was sitting at my desk, and my wife called, and she says, Eric, a plane just hit the one of the towers. And I, I, I don't know what went through your mind, but that, I heard that, and I thought, a Cessna... A small, t maybe a plane got off course. Maybe they lost track of where they were. And as I'm on the phone with her, the second one hit. And immediately knew something's deadly wrong here. Something's really, really wrong. We all gathered as a staff. Everybody got together. We turned on the news. We began to watch in horror, knowing that things had changed dramatically from that point forward. 
you know, we celebrate the grace of God to our country. Right? God bless America. Amen? And then we say his grace, right, has been shed on us. I believe that's true. I also know that we're watching this country and we're seeing things that we never thought would happen in America. And I wonder what God's calling us to. I wonder how the Lord's using it to refine us, to cause us to look up, to cause us to walk in this grace in which we stand, to cause us to say, oh, Lord, am I really yielded to you? Am I really surrendered to you? Is everything about my life really about you? Am I really willing to follow no matter the cost? I wonder if the Lord's using all of these circumstances in our culture and in our day in order to draw us to himself, to purify the bride, to make sure that no matter what we face in the coming days, that each and every one of us know not only of who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us, we know how to walk with the Lord and be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the word of God through the the Holy Spirit's power in us. And we also with certainty are looking forward to where we're headed. I wonder about that. I know God's doing that in my life. Is he doing that in your life? See, when a people of God, when a church body begins to walk in God's grace, there are certain things that become very apparent. There are certain things that begin to be made manifest through those people individually as well as corporately. Let me give you just real shortly a few of those. First of all, there's a change of attitude. There's a change of attitude. There is from pride to humility. From I can to he can. There is a change of attitude. It is not what we can do for God. It is Lord... (laughs) We need you. There's a change of attitude. Secondly, there's a change of pressure. And I put it that way because there's always pressure of performance. Every one of us experiences that in some way, shape, or form. But when we're talking about true grace and we're talking about walking with God in the midst of grace, what we're talking about is God's strength, not mine. God's strength, not mine. God's ability in the midst of the circumstance, not my ability in the midst of the circumstance. There's a change of attitude, but there's a recognition that the pressure has been shifted. It's not on my shoulders. It's not on your shoulders. It's on the Lord, and the Lord is able, and we can trust him. Amen? Thirdly, there's a change in our walk. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We we don't walk by what we can figure out, what we think we can do. That's sight. That has nothing to do with the Lord. That's going to burn. We walk by faith. Well, Lord, you're calling us to this? What? I don't know. I don't know, Lord. 
And God patiently and kindly begins to remind us that it's not based on us. It's not based on our wisdom. It's not based on what we can figure out. It's not based on anything other than what he's able to do. And are we willing to follow him? And so he puts us into these box canyons that we got to come to this point where we go, Lord, what do we do? And the Lord says, trust me, trust me, because I can do it. I know you can't. I put you in the circumstance so that you would come to the same conclusion that I already know. Do you trust me? That changes. And lastly, there's a change of focus. There's a change of focus. We become others-oriented rather than self-oriented. When you see somebody really growing in Christ, you see somebody really walking with the Lord, you see somebody that is really being transformed into the glory of God and Christ is at work in and through them and they're truly yielding to the Lord, what happens? You begin to watch a person who is absolutely going to completely serve the Lord and do so by serving others. There's, there's no way around it. Let me give you an example of that in closing. Dad had many stories. I'm sure many of you have stories. Uh, we sat and greeted, oh, literally, a couple thousand people, maybe more than that. And invariably, there would be a personal touch to the greeting. Right? People would come up and say, thank you, we love your dad, we love your father-in-law, we love Wayne, we love your family, we love you, and oh, by the way, here's something that happened in my life that changed my life. It's incredible. It's a glimpse of heaven. In the midst of all that, this particular story came out. Nobody knew about it. I'm just sharing it with you because I think it's so appropriate. When somebody is filled with the Lord and when somebody is filled with grace, it changes their mindset. It changes the way they think. It changes their activity. It changes everything about them and they become others-centered centered rather than self-serving. This was written to us there's a girl playing the white witch in Narnia. She has an amazing voice, and she's part of this drama, part of this play. And she was telling some people from Woodland Park that are a part of this drama production how she doesn't do well around religious people because she's been harshly judged and had bad experiences with church people. She had tons of bad stories about spiritual people that hurt her. However... She had one particular story about a man that asked her how she was doing and if he could pray for her one particular night while she was at work. She said he was very nice and encouraging to her. And when he left, he left her a $250 tip at the end of the meal. She never knew who he was. So that was one good memory she had about spiritual people. And she wasn't sure about the storyteller productions. This is the drama that uh, she's a part of, that some of the Woodland Park people are a part of because uh, she's, they were a church-based drama company and she's gotten to know some of those people. She has seen something different and something is happening in her and she's experiencing something. Her eyes are being opened in a way that had never taken place. She began to watch these people. She began to watch some of these Woodland Parkers grieve for the loss of their pastor and to credit him for so much of all that they've gained in terms of learning to walk with Christ. And she couldn't understand it. 
And then she saw the picture of dad that everybody was posting, and she realized that that was the man that had prayed for her during a busy work shift and had left her a $250 tip. See, what, what happens when you're, when you're overwhelmed by God, you, you, things don't matter anymore. Stuff, stuff. How much stuff can we fit in our garages? Come on. What matters is people. And it doesn't matter whether you're the pastor of a church. It doesn't matter what your role is. What matters is are you walking with the Lord? Are you filled with the grace of God? Are you, are you being used by the Lord in a way that somehow, some way through us, God is recognized? There's a divine touch. And so regardless of whether it's with one another within the body of Christ or whether it's at a, at a restaurant, Okay, say, say your food doesn't come out like it's supposed to. Maybe it's not as hot as it should have, or it's delayed, or maybe you didn't get the seats that you wanted. What, what about the person? What about the individual? How is God using that in their life in order to give you an opportunity to reveal God to them in such a way that they come away and they don't know who you are, they don't know what church you went to, and that doesn't even matter. What matters is they've had an opportunity to experience the Lord. And God is at work in that person's life. And God knows the story. And God knows how to weave the tapestry of events in order to draw that person to himself. What happens when a body of believers say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want. And relationships begin to be unified and flourished and grace and love get into this mix. And all of a sudden, people begin to go, That's, I, I, I got to be a part of that. I got to be a part of that. What a beautiful truth. Folks, grace is the message of the church. We talk about the gospel, but it's the gospel of God's grace. And grace is not just what we say, it's how we live. It's how we walk. It's how we experience God. It's how God grows us. It's the hope that we have in him. It's how God is doing a work in and through us and our testimony of the greatness of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we today willing to say it's all for him, no matter the cost? And Lord, we want to experience you more we're not satisfied with where we are in life. We want to walk with you. We want to know you. And we want to grow in you. And we want to thank you for the promises that you've given to us. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.